Amen. It's good to see all of you here. If uh, this is your first time with us or you're tuning in for the first few times, my name is David. I'm a member of the preaching team and one of the pastors here. I'm excited that you're joining us. Uh, As Steve said in the announcements, we are entering into a new series, uh, taking a break in the middle of the book of Exodus. And, And this is a series that has been on my heart and mind for months. And I've gone through periods of extreme dread leading up to this, and extreme excitement uh, leading up to this. The, the main idea, we've entitled it Counterculture 2021. For those of us that are Christians, we're dual citizens. And that we're citizens of the kingdom of God, but we also live in a earthly kingdom with an earthly culture. And so we constantly need to be reevaluating which culture's standards and ways are we living by. Are we combining American ways with God's ways in ways that are unbiblical? And so we're going to spend three weeks going through this. I could definitely use your prayer. Today we're talking, this one's entitled Going Deep, Escaping the Cycle of Misinformation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please lead us in your truth. Your word is truth. Holy Spirit, may these words be yours. Please work in the hearts of your people. Bring us to the place that you want us. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I believe that there's there's one issue. If if we were to look at the past 365-ish days here in America, there is one issue that has caused more conflict between Christians and Christians and Christians and unbelievers than than most other things that have happened, and that is the cycle of misinformation. And we're going to get into explaining what that is. But first, I'd like to say this. I believe that God calls his people to think deeply, biblically, and prayerfully. And that's how we escape the cycle of misinformation, that God has called us to think deeply, biblically, and, and prayerfully. That's how we escape the cycle of misinformation. But uh, as many sermons start, I think we need to go back to the beginning of the story. In in the first three chapters of Genesis, you can look at it if you want. I'm just going to summarize. God created the world, and the world was good and perfect. He created one man and one woman that lived in perfect relationship with him. They were made in God's image, so they're higher than everything else in creation. They have a special relationship. They have a special design. They have personhood. And they were given the task of being caretakers of the garden and eventually the earth as they multiplied. And and we see in those first few chapters of Genesis, in this, this utopia, this garden, the enemy Satan slithers in through the bushes in that perfect relationship, man walked with God in the, in the cool of the day. And God being the creator, he's the standard of all truth. He's the one who defines what is true. And yet, Eve, the woman, is immediately, as, as Satan slithers into the garden, she's confronted with false information. 
Because what does Satan do? He comes into the garden, and God had told Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan says, is that true? Is it? Like, like are you really going to die if you eat of that tree? No, God's just holding out on you. Because if you eat that, you're going to become like him. You're basically going to become your own God. And he doesn't want you to do that. God's holding out on you. So Adam and Eve were, were living under the truth of the creator. But this false viewpoint comes in and it appeals to their desires. And so they, they take a bite. And humanity falls in that act of rebellion. This is the world we live in. We live in a world of limited liars. Every single one of us in this room is a limited liar. Wow, this is harsh. Well, none of us know everything, right? How many of you know everything? Good, there's no one we have to, you know, have a, have a talking to afterwards, right? None of us know every little nook and cranny of the universe. None of us have read every book. None of us knows the future. So we're limited. We're limited in our understanding and our knowledge. So there are times as humans where maybe a friend tells us something, and then we try to tell that information to someone else or that story to someone else. But we, don't know that, we didn't know that that person was lying to us or that person didn't have the right information. And so we end up lying to someone without even meaning to. Our, our, our knowledge is limited. And we're also liars. That, I mean, any of you who are parents, obviously, you know, my daughter is too young to, to lie at this point. But, I mean, kids start lying pretty early on. You know, they got the cookie smeared all over their face and say, did you eat the cookie? No. Right? It's, it's our sinful human nature to, to deceive as a way to get out of the problems that are around us. So we are limited liars, and we live in a world of limited liars. And in this world of limited liars, God is the ultimate standard of truth. He is the only being who is not limited. He's the only being who actually knows everything. And as the creator, he is truth. He is the only being who is completely good, who cannot lie because it's actually against his nature. God is the standard of truth. Any other being in existence is limited. And us humans, we're also liars. And so we have this issue because as Christians, we believe that God has revealed himself. That's how we know what is true. That God, the ultimate standard of truth, has given us truth in Scripture. That this is inspired, this is authoritative. But what happens when a society rejects this as the standard of what is right and wrong? Everyone just does what they want to do. They do what seems right to them. There's no ultimate standard outside of the individual to call them to account. Now, luckily, right, God has given us the ability to think logically, and God has created a world with order, so we can come to certain elements of truth through um, philosophy, science, but all of that is limited because we live in a world of limited liars. 
So we're, we're going to have a little history lesson here, and I promise I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not just trying to, to, to lecture here. Uh, because we, we live in a world with these. Information is, is cheaper than pretty much anything around. But I want you to go back in time to, to the ancient times, to the medieval times. Everything had to be handwritten, hand-inscribed. Everything. In the medieval ages, to own a copy of the Bible, a copy of the Bible took a couple years to make, and it cost several years' wages. So to own a Bible, this Bible would cost as much as most of your homes or more, to put it into perspective. That's why they chained them to, to, to the pulpits and churches. Very few people had books. They were expensive. They were hard to acquire. And information traveled very slowly, extremely slowly, because everything had to be handwritten, and it was expensive. And then in 1440, something absolutely changed the world, and that was the printing press. So, so suddenly, it went from, man, it, it, took, it could take years to just create a book, and then years and months after that just to make copies of it. Within a matter of days, you could print up as many pamphlets as you wanted. So when the Protestant reformer Martin Luther nailed his issues with the Catholic Church to the church door, within 11 days, his followers had taken that, printed that, and it made its way all the way to Spain. That's in 1440. So, so information went from it could take generations for ideas to shape a population to now it could take years and months. But there was still the, the, this, this slow and, and methodical way that people processed information, that someone prints a pamphlet or they write a small book and it goes out all over the continent and it takes months for the scholars to discuss it and they set up debates and then they have the debates and then there's more information about the debates. But, but that's, is that the way things work now? No, because we have our own printing press, and it's called the Internet. And so we went from a time where it took years to produce a book and a massive amount of money to where any person with a little bit of money could produce something and it could go out. So now anyone who can spend under $50 on a on a device can go to a local coffee shop, buy a $2 cup of coffee, and they can make whatever they want. They can make a video, you can make a blog, you can make a tweet or a post or a picture or whatever, and you can send it out to possibly millions or billions of people in the world. I mean, is that not insane? Just 200 years ago, that was unthinkable. And so now our information moves extremely, extremely quickly. And the great hazard of the day that we live in is that in a world of limited liars, we have lost the time to think. In a world of limited liars, we've lost the time to think. It used to take months years for ideas to affect the population. And now something that is trending in the morning can be a dead meme by lunchtime. 
Something can be extremely popular one day, and within a matter of weeks, everyone has forgotten that it even existed. The news cycle on the internet moves so, so quickly that we've lost the time to think. No longer is there time to set up debates and for issues to be discussed among scholars. We have a matter of minutes and seconds to respond to an issue. Do we share it? Do we get angry? Do we call for this person to be fired from their job because of this one thing they said five minutes ago? This is the world that we live in. In a world of limited liars, we've lost the time to think. I mean, just, just, just think to yourself. Something pops up on your news feed. You have a matter of seconds to choose whether you're going to read that or just keep scrolling. Let's say you do. Then you have a matter of seconds or minutes where you decide whether or not you're going to share that or whether you're just going to put it away and never see it again. So, so we don't have time to think and discuss. We respond not based on truth or a standard of truth, but we respond on whether or not something resonates with us, whether it makes us feel good, whether it already matches the things we believe. So you hate vaccines, you find an article against vaccines, I'm posting that. You love vaccines, you find an article for vaccines, I'm posting that. We've replaced the labor of truth-finding with simply reposting whatever resonates with us. And so we find ourselves in a world of cancel culture and fake news. And, and it makes us anxious. It makes us scared. It makes us angry. And yet God calls his people to think deeply, biblically, and prayerfully. Deeply, biblically, and prayerfully. So I'd like you to turn with me to Second uh, Timothy chapter two. I need to catch my breath because we're going to be going through three chapters in a matter of minutes, because there's a there's a theme that goes out throughout pretty much the entire book of Second Timothy. This is a book written by Paul to a younger pastor, Timothy. And he's giving him a lot of advice on handling truth, how to engage with the people who disagree with you, and how to ultimately preach God's word in a way that's faithful. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 2, first two verses, Paul says, You then, my child, referring to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, so this, 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 initial, this initial command is Paul saying, look, you've heard the gospel. You've heard the truth, God's revealed truth about Jesus Christ from reliable witnesses. This is, this is an established fact. There were 500 people who saw the resurrected Jesus. You've heard this from reliable witnesses, and so your job is to find more reliable witnesses. Your responsibility is to find faithful, reliable men who will then be able to take this message, and they will not alter it, they will not twist it, they will not misuse it, but they will pass it on to the next generation. Men who will be able to teach others 
also. And skipping down to verse 14, he says, Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid irreverent babble. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. If we go back to verse 14. His charge is do not quarrel about words. It does how much good? How much good? No good. It does no good when you get into these petty quarrels and it actually ruins the hearers. That sometimes there are discussions and there are arguments that that really are just so ridiculous and so far-fetched it will just ruin you to get involved in that. It's not worth engaging. And, and he says in verse 15 that we sh- you should be presented to God as an approved worker, rightly hand- handling the word of God, that there is a labor that goes into truth. There is a labor that goes into understanding this so that we can rightly apply it to our setting, apply it to our hearts, apply it to the people around us. We don't just pick a verse and, oh, that sounds cool. I think I know what this means. But there is a worthwhile labor that goes into seeking truth. And in 16 through 19, we see that we're to avoid irreverent babble. Irreverent babble. And the Greek, this term for irreverent, is this idea of being godless and pointless. And man, do we live in a time where there's a lot of stuff out there that is godless and pointless. And yet when we see that post or we hear our friend say that, we, we want to we jump in to, 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 to discussions that just aren't worthwhile. They aren't meaningful. There's no truth to be discussed. And he gives an example of, of, unfortunately, two guys who had fallen into this and and were teaching people ridiculous, false teachings about Jesus. Jumping down to verse 22 and 23, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, You know that they breed quarrels. You know that they breed quarrels. In in verse 22, he says, says, flee youthful passions and pursue these good things. Flee youthful passions and pursue these good things. And often when we hear this term, flee youthful passions, we kind of think, well, we're talking about temptation. Right? Right? But the, but the context of this passage is dealing with debates, dealing with discussion, dealing with truth. 
And Kent Hughes, when he's, when he's discussing this passage, he identifies three major youthful passions. Impatience, harshness, and the love of debate winning. Impatience, harshness, and the love of debate winning. That These are common desires of youth. And, and I can tell you as a 20-something-year-old pastor, this is my daily struggle. Because when there's a disagreement... Sometimes I don't want to get coffee a dozen times and talk back and forth and take the time to work through this. Sometimes I just want to say, you're wrong. Stop talking. I I know I'm not the only one. Right? These, These are youthful passions that do not help the discussion, that do not help truth. But this is what we want to do. We want to be impatient. We want to be harsh. And we want to win the debate. Sometimes we care more about beating the person and making them look like they're wrong than actually winning the person. And and these are youthful desires that we are to flee. He says in 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. They just make more quarrels. He says, have what? To do with foolish, ignorant controversies? Have what? Have what? Nothing, nothing to do with these foolish, ignorant controversies. And man, do do we live in a time of foolish, ignorant controversies? Uh, We live in a time when conspiracy theories have gone mainstream. It really, it doesn't doesn't matter what what science says. Um, in, In a time where we can't really trust anything on the internet, all sorts of crazy ideas are floating around. We don't want to get sucked into that. If truth can't be established by by logic and and scholarship and actually handling a source of truth, it's only going to bring quarreling that has no end. If 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 there's no objective truth, if there's no standard, if there's no truth to be established, then there's no end to the controversy. Continuing on in 24, he says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. I love this, this approach to people who disagree with us. This isn't a debate-winning approach. It's a soul-winning approach. That when we disagree, when, 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 there, when there are people who, who disregard the truth and, and there's, there's discussion around that, we should be kind. We should teach patiently. We should endure their evil. We should correct with gentleness, not harshness. And when we do that, there's a chance that they can come to their senses. I mean, let's, let's be honest. You're having a conversation with someone, and they call you a name. And uh, you can imagine all the ones that, that are circulating around. They say, you're just like Hitler or something crazy like that. Are you going to listen to them and actually think about the point that they're making? I'm not. But, but when we take a gentle 
patient, loving approach, there's a chance to actually make a difference in someone's life. That they may come to their senses, escape the snare of the devil. Uh, The majority of chapter 3 is just making one point, and that's expect people to be awful. That's really the major point that's happening in chapter 3. Expect that people are going to love themselves, they're going to love money, they're going to hate things that are good. But in the end of it, in 16 and 17, many of you have heard this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is, this is the complete package. Scripture is the complete package. It is what God has given us to teach others, to correct others, to, to train other people and ourselves to live a godly and good life. This is the truth that's worth fighting for. It's the truth that's worth teaching and sharing with the people around us because this has a, an effect in one's life. It has an effect. It's not dead. It is breathed out by the living God who is the ultimate standard of what is right and wrong, what is true and what is real. In chapter 4, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and extort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away, into, turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul has told Timothy, avoid all of these foolish controversies. Don't get bogged down in these petty disputes over words that just cause more and more and more drama. He says, preach the word. The, The word is what is going to change people's lives. Preach the word. Be ready all the time to preach the word. And then he says, there's going to come a time when people, they reject sound teaching and they're going to have itching ears. And they're just going to choose teachers to suit their own desires. And and is that not the world we live in? Like, Like you can find a pastor to support whatever sin habit you want. That's the reality. We got the internet. Like, like you, you, want, you, want, you want a pastor that's going to accept your sexually immoral lifestyle? You can find them. You want a pastor who's going to tell you that, that, that your, your drug addiction is okay? You can find them. There are teachers out there. You can find a teacher to tell you whatever you want for our itching ears. The issue is not whether or not I can find an expert who, can, who agrees with me. The issue is where is our standard of truth? Because people are limited liars. There are plenty of teachers out there that will just tell people what they want to hear so they can make money. Outside of this, everything is tainted by limited liars. And even I am a limited liar. 
That's why it's important that you guys read this too, that you don't just listen to a sermon on Sunday morning and say, that was great. I can't wait to see what David or Steve has next. Steve and I are limited, and we're sinners. It's by God's grace that I get to stand up here and teach you guys. And at the end, he says, be sober-minded, right? Be level-headed. Endure suffering. It's going to be difficult. He says, do the work of an evangelist. That the purpose of all this, all of the fighting over truth, the purpose is to win people that they might know Jesus. The purpose isn't so that they might accept your political beliefs. The purpose isn't that they would stop being so annoying. The purpose is that they would know Jesus. And that's worth suffering and fighting for. Are we being changed by the word or are we changing the word for our desires? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. Are we allowing the raw word of of, of God to address our issues, or are we just interpreting this the way that already matches the way we live? I know I I even struggle with that. So, So to summarize, avoid controversies and quarrels and rely on Scripture as our truth source. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. And I'd like to jump uh, even more briefly into Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 through 9. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone the Lord is at hand. Jesus is coming. We should be known as people who are reasonable. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I don't have time to do this passage justice, but just a few observations. In verse 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything. But the response to this anxiety is prayer and supplication. That when we are anxious, we turn to God in prayer. And I don't know about you, but with with all of the conflicts that have happened over the last year and are still happening, and all the arguments online and the awful things that have been said to people, it can make one anxious, can it not? Even just what what I've seen happen between my own friends over dumb arguments. Like like arguments about this little piece of fabric. It's like six inches wide. And yet his divided churches. Come on! Sorry, soapbox. Off to the side. That wasn't in my notes. But, but, But in the anxiety of all this, we turn to God in prayer. And that's a, that's a process. 
I, I hope you're picking up on this pattern that, that in all of this conflict and drama, we don't just lean into it and say whatever we want, but we check our heart with God's word. We check what's being said with God's word. And then we go to God with our emotions and we make sure that we're in a right place. Like that, that, that when we are anxious, when we're upset, that we should turn to God in prayer rather than just vomiting it on our Facebook page or the first person that we talk to. That, that we serve a peace of God and his peace surpasses all understanding and can guard our hearts. And that God has given us a variety, in verses 8 and 9, a variety of good things to think about. And as we think about those things, God has given us good things to do. And that's where we find peace. If we think we're going to find peace in winning an argument, we're never going to find it. There's always going to be a new discussion, a new argument. Peace is found in dwelling on the goodness of God and finding rest there. We should pray under our anxiety. We should meditate on the good, practice the good. And to pull it all together, God calls his people to think deeply, biblically, and prayerfully, escaping the cycle of misinformation. And yet we right now are watching our society try to handle truth without a standard of truth. So so I, I, I I have a question. If God has not revealed himself, the standard of ultimate truth has not revealed himself in his word, what is the ultimate standard of truth? How do we know what is right and wrong? It's a tough question because there's no answer. Because everyone will disagree. Some people will say it's the individual. I can decide what's right for me. I can speak my truth. I can live my truth. But what tends to play out in a society is mob rule. Because if there's no ultimate standard of right and wrong, then whoever's right is whoever is the loudest and has the most power, and that's usually the majority. That's usually the mob. And and so, so doesn't it make sense that the last few elections have been so volatile when one party loses? that my person isn't in office, so it must have been Russian hackers because we're, we're the majority. And, and my president isn't in office, so it must have been rigged because we're the majority. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what's right in any of those situations or what's real. I have no clue. But people get upset because everyone in this country is trying to become the majority, to be the loudest voice so that they can exert their truth over everyone else their agenda over everyone else. But that's not really truth. That's just the popular opinion. And that's extremely dangerous. It's truth that is exchanged for emotions and personal experiences and desires. And, and we as Christians... Right, because we're 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 Amer- Most of us listening are, are Americans. We're born in this culture. We love this culture. But we're we're members of the kingdom of God. We forfeit the opportunity 
We forfeit the opportunity to, to, to be a light in the darkness if we handle disagreements and information the same way our culture does. Because the way our culture, culture handles truth and disagreements is based on the premise that there really is no truth. God, God's Old Testament people, Israel, he gave them a beautiful, wonderful gift. He gave them the law so that they would live differently than the other nations. They would look differently than the other nations. And that they would be this star in the darkness. And the other nations would say, man, those people live differently. And they would say, yes, it's because God has given us a way that is shaped by his character. A way that is ultimately best. And as, as God's new covenant people, he's given us his word and he's given us the Holy Spirit. God has given us the tools to live a different way. To actually have a standard of truth that it doesn't matter what the majority in our country says. It matters what God says. And we forfeit that if we just start handling disagreements and truth claims the same way everyone else does. And whatever resonates with me, that's what I'm going to post and that's what I'm going to say. This is why our church hasn't released a lot of political statements I know some churches do that. That's, that's, that's not what we're about because we live in a time where, honestly, we don't know what's true half the time. We don't. Can we just be honest? You see an article, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. We live in a world of limited liars. Anyone can post anything. We have to be anchored to this. We have to be anchored to God's word. So, so here's some questions we should ask ourselves. When, when, we, when we see a discussion, a debate, a controversy, is there truth to be fought for here? Or am I participating in uninformed controversy? Right, right. Is there truth that Scripture addresses that we should stand up for for the betterment of, the, of those people's souls? Or is this just an uninformed controversy about facts that no one can establish and it's just going to ruin the people involved? And here's a practical way to look at that. The Facebook's comment section is basically always, always an uninformed controversy. If you look at that post and there's 365 comments, no one's reading your comment. If 300 people have already responded to this, you are just adding your voice to a crowd of people yelling out their own opinions. How many of you are part of like the Hollis Community Facebook page, for those of you who live here? It is, it is a comedy show every day of the week because someone can post something as simply, they're like, hey, look, I found a stick in the road. And people start fighting over the stick. They're like, man, CMP needs to clean up their mess better. And this other person's like, no, leave it out for the mulch. And they're, I'm not making this stuff up. It's nuts. It's uninformed controversy. I don't care who left us a piece of bread on the nature trail. It, no one knows. There are better things to talk about. Okay, soapbox two, out of the way. There's a lot of catharsis here. Uh, question number two, am I being gentle and loving or am I embracing a youthful desire for debate? Am I being gentle and loving or am I embracing a youthful desire for debate? You know, this is tough. This is tough. 
when we, when we come to, to someone who disagrees with us, do we come with the attitude, you're wrong and I'm going to tell you why you're wrong? Or do we come with the attitude, I care about you and this is what I believe and I think we should discuss it? You know, I, I, I have some friends who are part of the LGBTQ community and we have amazing conversations but those, 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 those conversations don't start by me coming in here and just going, they don't. Those conversations start with me listening to their stories, asking them questions, and coming in with an attitude that you are my friend and I care about you. I disagree with you. I think you're going down a path that's going to cause you harm. It's going to keep you, in some instances, it's going to keep you from a proper relationship with your creator. But are we coming in with, with an attitude of being gentle and loving? Or are we just trying to win the debate? Question three, have I taken the time to pray and work through this issue? Right now, the world is trying to get you to respond immediately to issues. You know, if you don't, if you don't post in response to this world event today, what's wrong with you? No, no, we, we should take the time to think things through and to pray to God and, and, and ask where our emotions are. If we're angry, God, is it good that I'm angry? Have we taken the time to pray and work through this issue? God calls his people to think deeply, biblically, and prayerfully, escaping the cycle of misinformation. So I, I have three steps. Those are three questions that I think are very helpful. Here, here are three steps. Step number one is to pray through our emotions. Right? If we're angry, if we're upset, if we're saddened, if we're annoyed, these are things that we should work through with God first. Because we could be in the right, we could be in the wrong. Our emotions could be righteous or they could be clouding our judgment. I think secondly, we need to take the time to think biblically and logically. Is there truth that can be established here? What does God's word say about this issue? Man, if, if there's anything that you ever want to discuss with Steve and I, like we are, you, you, know, you know our Facebook accounts. You, you, most of you probably have our number. We would love to just chat through issues. What do you think about this? Uh, my coworker said this. What does the Bible say about that? We can be a resource for each other in seeking truth and understanding God's word. And, and thirdly, we should spend quality time working on people rather than adding to the meaningless chatter. We should spend quality time working on people rather than adding to the meaningless chatter. I would wager that we will make very little impact with thousands of social media posts, right? Changing the frame around your icon, adding a hashtag. I will argue that we will do very little to impact the world doing those things. And you could probably do far more good in one hour of having a coffee with your neighbor than thousands of posts and comments. Like God has made us relational beings to sit down and talk together, to share food together. That's what Jesus did. Jesus went to the sinners and the tax collectors and he sat down at their table and they talked. You have a neighbor who, who really disagrees with you on a lot of issues and they, and they don't know Jesus. Build that relationship. Like, like, have a barbecue with them. Have some coffee with them. 
Just go out to the mailbox and chat. We will do far more good building a relationship and having discussions in the context of a friendship in real life than just throwing our two cents into the wind. God calls his people to think deeply, biblically, and prayerfully, escaping the cycle of misinformation. I'd like to pray with you guys. And, and, and when you came in, for those of you that are, that are here in person, uh, you were handed a, a prayer for using social media. Uh, this is part of a project that we've been working on. Uh, if you notice, when we prayed for Desiree this morning, uh, I was actually uh, reading out of a book. And, and for those of you that are my age, you've probably never seen one of those before, but it's called a, a common book of prayer. Uh, a lot of churches back in the day used to have a book of pre-written prayers. So when there's an issue, there's a prayer for it. And obviously, like, there's plenty of room for us to, to do our own prayers and spontaneous prayers, but sometimes it's nice to have a prayer where we know it's a biblical prayer. It's a prayer that, that thousands of Christians have prayed before us. And so we're kind of working on a project of putting together a collection of prayers that, that our church is crafting. Prayers for us to use on certain uh, occasions. Uh, so if you weren't here today, you didn't get that in paper copy, you can find it on our website and in the app under the more tab, I believe. So I'd just like to pray this, this over you. Father, thank you for providing spaces on the internet to speak truth and show love towards others. Just like Paul before the Athenian philosophers, help us to respectfully and logically draw others to Jesus. May our words always be gracious May we be driven by a love for God and a love for others. Help us to remember that we are always your witnesses, representing Christ and his people. Holy Spirit, please display your fruit in our interactions. We recognize that we do not have the power to control our speech. Please give us the wisdom to remain silent when we should be silent, always resisting the temptation to vent. Please help us to love our enemies and not act out of vengeance. Please help, please keep us from slander and gossip. Help us to avoid quarreling and controversies. May we remember that we will be held accountable for every careless word. Help us to resist the many temptations the internet provides. Please give us discernment to avoid false teaching and false information, recognizing that only your word is absolutely true. In every word, post, and view, may our time on the internet be glorifying to you, O Lord. Amen. I pray this week that as you go out, that we would be thinking deeply biblically. That we'd be acting graciously towards our neighbors and those we disagree with. We'd be thinking prayerfully. And that the Holy Spirit would just bless your interactions uh, with other Christians, with unbelievers, and your neighbors and loved ones this week. Thank you.